morning, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'll have to, uh, kids are dismissed, by the way. What a blessing it is. A lot of kids here today. And when we're singing in the morning uh, congregational, uh, we can hear them over here. So you guys over here did a great job. That was one, maybe it was all Miss Casey. I don't know, but those kids were doing a great job too. So that was a blessing. Uh, we're grateful for that. Matthew chapter 5. If you'll forgive me, I'm having some voice issues this morning, and my gracious wife made me some tea, so we'll work through it as we go, okay? Um, I don't know, it might make it 20 minutes longer or 10 minutes shorter. I don't know how that works. But... Matthew chapter 5. An oxymoron is a figure of speech in which it, it combines two normally contradictory ideas. So you take two words that are normally opposite, and you combine them for a meaning. I'll give you some examples. Uh, small crowd. Uh, she or he is pretty ugly. That's an oxymoron. Uh, clearly confused. Unbiased opinion. Have you heard that before? I'm, I'll give you my unbiased opinion. If it's an opinion, it's not unbiased. So uh, it's an oxymoron. Jumbo shrimp. It's an oxymoron. Uh, airline food. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? Shouldn't call it food. Or here's a big one, government organization. That is a total oxymoron. Let me give you another one. Happy persecution. Now that's an oxymoron. Because the word happy means something very good, and the word persecution means something very bad. And yet, to put them together, it's not something we would normally do. But the Bible says that persecution can be a source of joy when we suffer for the right reason with the right focus. And people have suffered. Did you know that more Christians were martyred in the 20th century than any other, than all the other centuries combined? Uh, we, we sometimes look at persecution and look at it as something in the Middle Ages and back in the days of the Romans, but persecution is very alive in our time as well. Currently, over 200 million Christians this morning, under the sound of my... Well, as I'm speaking... 200 million Christians are being persecuted. 70% of the world's population lives in religiously intolerant environments. Each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. Every month. Uh, 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed every month. Uh, the 722 forms of violence are committed against followers of Christ. And then today... We come to the eighth beatitude, and we see that it's a little bit different than the first seven that we read, and we've been working through. The first seven talk about our character of holy conduct. Uh, the, the eighth and ninth beatitude uh, talks about the cruelty for our, our holy conduct. The first seven talk about our inward condition of our heart. Uh, the last two talk about the outward circumstances around us. To break it down even more, uh, the first two uh, the, the first two have to do with recognizing our own righteousness. Blessed are those, go, if, you, if you jump back, poor in spirit and they that mourn, recognizing our own righteousness. The next five have to do with our seeking God's righteousness. And then these last two beatitudes have to do with our suffering for the sake of God's righteousness. So let's read the verse and we'll get started. Verse number 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye 
when men shall revile you and persecute you and and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I want to talk today about happiness in spite of heckling, harassment, and harsh treatment. Happiness in the middle of all of it. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to use your word. and Help us, Lord, uh, just work, as we work through this, that you would challenge us specifically and personally. In Jesus' name, amen. The believer with the qualities of the first seven Beatitudes that we have went through, if you have those qualities in your life, then you will also be willing to face persecution uh, for the sake of righteousness. You're going to have an attitude of self-sacrifice for the sake of Christ. This kind of attitude to face persecution is what gives joy to the believer. I know it makes no sense, but we're going to talk about it today and uh, try to get to the bottom of what Jesus is saying here when he says, blessed or happy, happy are they which are persecuted. That's so hard for us to understand. So I want to break that down. Let's look first of all at the run after the righteous. Throughout history, there has been a concerted effort to stamp out Christianity. And to me, it's a strange thing to fight against something that you don't believe in. Have you ever wondered about that? They vehemently fight against Christianity because they supposedly don't believe in what Christians believe in. They don't believe there's a God. I read just recently that 33%, and even with homeschool math, I think that's like one out of three people. 33% of Irish people believe in leprechauns. They believe they're real. Uh, and I don't believe in leprechauns, but I'm not going to write a book about it. I'm not going to go and fight it and get on a national talk show and just talk about the uh, how stupid they are for believing in leprechauns, I, even though I don't believe it because they're not real. Why would I go out and fight against something that's not real? Yet Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion, and he says this about the book. It's not just a defense of atheism, but it also goes on the offensive against religion. Why? If you don't believe it's any reality to it, why? Why fight against what you think is not real? And I'll tell you why. The knowledge of God is in the heart of every man. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 19, because they which may be known of God, uh, that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him uh, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Occasionally, I'm running to an atheist just as I talk to people and hand out tracts or witness. And, and I just talked to a man recently here in town. He says, oh, um, I'm an atheist. And I asked him a question that I always ask atheists. Really? I said, that's interesting to me. Uh, I don't meet many atheists, and I don't meet that many. But I said, tell me, when did you become an atheist? And the interesting thing, I've never had a person not have an answer for that. Uh, I, if you ask me, when did you stop believing in leprechauns? I would say I never believed in leprechauns. Maybe when I was like five or four, you know, a little kid. But, I mean, as soon as I could be rational, I never believed. But there's always a point in which an atheist became an atheist. Usually it's the, the because something bad happened or God took a family member. But something happened to move them from belief to unbelief. Because it is in the heart of man to believe there is a God. Why do you think that the most remote uh, tribes in the world always worship something? It might be the sun, it might be a tree, it might be a rock, but they worship something because it is in the heart of man that there's God. And so 
the, to, the, the desire then is to discredit God because for a specific purpose, because if we can kill God, we no longer have to answer to Him. And so they attack the very idea of God. And they attack those who follow Him. This can happen to you and me as well. Uh, you may be harassed and heckled or hurt for doing what is right. But the Bible says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The original word for persecuted there in verse 10 uh, comes from the Greek word dioko, and it means to make, to run, or to put to flight, to pursue a person or thing in a hostile manner, to harass one. Happy are those that are pursued, that are chased, and that are harassed for righteousness' sake. Because, friend, if you decide to live for God, let me tell you something, you will suffer persecution. Now, we're in America, it probably won't be, at, at least not yet, death or imprisonment, but we will suffer persecution. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.11, or 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not might suffer, will, shall suffer persecution. Now you say, well, pastor, I've never suffered persecution. All those who live godly. I'm not making any accusations. I'm just telling what the Bible says. I believe if we live the way that we're supposed to, and we live right, and we have standards in our heart, in our life, and we uh, make the Bible a very real thing in our homes, we're going to sometimes face some resistance. And persecution will pursue you. The Greek word persecuted is a passive, perfect participle. Say that ten times. Uh, it indicates a continuousness. I'm talking about a willingness here to endure persecution uh, continually, and it keeps coming. The word persecution also describes a past action that continues in the present. Uh, it, it emphasizes here that it is continual. It doesn't just sock you once and go away. It continues to come, and it continues. It delivers blow after blow. Christians throughout history have been pursued relentlessly about their beliefs. Uh, the church has had a bloody history, if you ch study uh, the church of Jesus Christ after the apostles and on. Uh, we have had a very bloody history. The, Nine, the Nicene Council of 325, one historian said this, and I quote, only about 12 of the 318 delegates had not lost an eye or a hand or did not limp upon a leg shrunk in its sinews by the burning iron of torture, end quote. In the early days of the New Testament church, sometimes a dear price was paid uh, for serving the Lord Jesus Christ. If you chose Christ, that might mean stoning. Uh, it might mean beheading. Sometimes they would cover you with pitch and light you on fire as a torch for Nero so that he could see along the streets. Uh, they would, many Christians would uh, wrap them up in animal skins and throw them to wild, ravenous dogs and let them tear them from limb to limb. This was a much, uh, much part of our church history, and Jesus said, Happy. Happy are you when you're persecuted. That's what blessed means, remember? Happy. One day on a way to visit some friends, John Denley, who was a Baptist, stopped. Uh, he was stopped and searched by the authorities. They found his written confessions of faith that were on his body, and, and uh, Denley believed in salvation and faith in Jesus Christ, and he, he did not believe that the Church of England was the true church, and he had uh, written that in his confessions of faith. He was turned over to a local official who in turn gave him to the uh, bishop and uh, for questioning. He would not back down on his statement of faith. So he was condemned to die. And six weeks later, on October or August 8th, 1555, he was tied to a stake to be burned. 
And when they lit the wood beneath him, Danley showed no fear. He cheerfully sang a psalm while the flames started to lick up around him. One of his tormentors was upset that he wasn't screaming and cursing more, and so he picked up a piece of burning wood and flung it at him, hitting Denley in the face. He hoped to anger him, but Denley only replied, Truly you have spoiled a good old song. And he started to sing again until he died. I can't fathom that type of commitment. That's incredible, isn't it? And stories like that abound. We'll go through a few more today. The commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ... And here we are in the 21st century, and all it takes for us is just a critical look by somebody, and we melt. We don't want to continue. Or just a little bit of a, a scorn from somebody for what we believe, and we'll immediately quiet down. We have become so soft and so easily silenced. Oh, that we would have the faith and spine of Mayor Flanders' daughter. Uh, I'm sorry, her, his maid in the 16th century. Philip II was sent out by the Duke of Alba to Flanders to stamp out the Christians that insisted on reading their Bible. You remember when the Bible, don't remember, but maybe you've read, uh, when the Bible first started being printed for mass production, uh, the Church of England put a big, big no-no on the Bible. You can't have the Bible because they didn't want people to start uh, reading what God said directly. They wanted to have that control. And so he, uh, anybody who was found reading the Bible would be executed. When he got there, a Bible was found in the mayor's home. And they questioned, and the mayor and his whole family insisted it wasn't theirs. And finally, their little maid said, it's my Bible. I'm reading it. The mayor tried to defend her. She owns it, but she can't read. She doesn't read the Bible. She says boldly, I am reading it. And it is more precious to me than anything. She was sentenced to die by suffocation. A place was to be dug out in the city wall uh, where she would be tied in there, and then the opening would be bricked over. On the day of her execution, an official came and tried to change her mind. She replied, my Savior died for me, and I will die for him. And so they started to stack the bricks in and the concrete. And as they were laid higher and higher, they kept warning her, you're going to suffocate in there. Uh, and she said, I will be with Jesus. Finally, the wall was finished except one brick that was right in front of her face. And they gave her one last chance, just say the word, recant, and you'll go free. Instead, she said, oh, Lord, forgive my murderers. And the brick was put in place. We don't have such trials in America as of yet. By the way, I say yet. We don't know what the future holds for us. Because our freedoms, as they disappear slowly, uh, this, this, these things can happen anywhere, even in America. But what price, I ask you today, are you willing to pay for the Lord Jesus Christ? What persecution are you willing to go through for the Lord? Are you willing to be despised? Are you willing to be disparaged to put your belief in God? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, the beatitude just before this one, I think is interesting. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he moves, I don't think it's an accident, he moves from the peacemakers to the persecuted. Uh, the world enjoys sin and injustice so much. The peacemaker, the godly Christian, is not always welcome. They don't enjoy what he brings. Opposition is a normal mark to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Persecution of righteousness will often come from high places, has in history even today. Some of the most intense persecution suffered by Christians uh, came from unexpected places. Religious people. In fact, uh, many, many hundreds of thousands of people 
in the Dark Ages were killed by the Roman Catholic Church. In Spain alone, between 300,000 and 400,000 Christians died at the hand of the Church of Rome. In the early days of America, there was persecution. Did you know that? There's a, there was some heavy persecution in the early days of America. We always like to talk about how the pilgrims came over here because they wanted freedom of religion. Sort of. Yes, they did. They wanted freedom for their religion. And they did not offer freedom for anybody else's. They wanted freedom to worship just like they did. And one man, uh, Roger Williams, who was a Baptist, showed up in Massachusetts in 1631 to escape the persecution of the Church of England. But by 1636, Massachusetts had kicked him out too because he wouldn't adhere to their uh, belief system. So he started the colony of Rhode Island. And in Rhode Island, it was the first area in the new land to guarantee absolute religious freedom. This has happened ever since the church began. People being persecuted in the name of religion. Jesus warned us this type of treatment would come. In John chapter 16, verse 2, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doth God's service. In other words, what Jesus said is these religious people will kill you and think they're doing God a favor. And it's happened all throughout our history. Persecution runs after us. We have to understand that. Secondly, look at the reasons for persecution. Uh, the godliness of a committed Christian is a source of conviction to the lost and the carnal Christian. Your life, if you are living for God, they, they that live godly, your life is a condemnation on their sin. You live a godly life, you will be an irritation to those who are not born again or those who are disobedient. A life of integrity condemns a lost and dying world. And so people hate the, the righteous life because it exposes their own unrighteousness. Thus it becomes a source of hostility. So the Christian is persecuted for righteousness' sake. <coughs> I worked for a number of years as a manager of an auto parts uh, company, and, and we had about about 13 of our us were managers of different warehouses. And once a year, we would meet at a lodge that we rented, and we would have our annual meeting and plan for the year. And uh, it was a lodge with an open bar, so that evening after the meetings were over, uh, most people headed there. And there was a few of us were Christians. We didn't. Uh, we would just watch a game or something. And so, uh, But one thing that surprises me is how hard... I was a preacher, and they knew that. My... Uh, the owner of our company, my boss, always called me the in-house preacher, which was nice, except everybody else took it and started calling me the out-house preacher, so they had a way to twist it around. But they knew I was a preacher, and there was desperation with them to get me to drink. I've never drank, I've never been drunk, but man, they tried. And I, it was always curious to me. I could care less what you drink. Why do you want me to drink? I just think it's odd. But here's the reason. Because a person that doesn't drink it condemns one who knows he shouldn't drink. And so they don't want, they want to, and, and they weren't being mean or cruel, but that the same principle applies. They want you to do what they do. Isn't it interesting that in the trans movement, it's not enough to just say, do what you want, we'll leave you alone. That's not enough. No, no, no. You have to approve of what they are doing. You have to endorse what they are doing because they don't want your holy life to be a condemnation to them. Just this last year on March 27th, 2023, 
You probably remember the shooting at a Christian academy in Nashville by Audrey Hale, who's a trans individual. It all, uh, it was all out violence specifically against faith. The shooter wanted to destroy a place that promoted Christian values. The following that tragic event though, to me, in my opinion, was sadder than the event itself because journalists and columnists directed their anger toward the Christians. Do you remember that? Uh, they, rather than mourning the victims and condemning the violence, instead of offering sympathy and support, they, many of them made callous comments that mocked the Christian faith. They even sometimes blamed the victims, and many of them were far more concerned about whether or not someone's misgendering the shooter than they were about the victims that he killed. The, this exemplifies an escalating hostility toward Christians today, even in America. And now, that saddens us, but the Bible is very clear that it should not surprise us. Look at the Bible says in 1 John 3, 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. He said, listen, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised about it. And he goes on. Oh, well, actually, Jesus said this in John 15, 18. If the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Uh, if you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. This, this, again, if we just step back and think about it objectively, you would think that the world would be thrilled that God would send his only son to earth, born of a virgin, who will be able to be a sacrifice for our sins. You would think the world would be uh, that straining under a load and misery of sin would receive him gladly. You would think that a society uh, would be delighted with one who went about doing good, Acts chapter 10. Uh, you, would, you would think that, uh, if, if, uh, that, that if he healed the sick and he cleansed the lepers and he fed hungry multitudes and even raised the dead, that he would be celebrated and accepted and loved. But that's not the case at all. They hated him because he was good. They hated him because he told the truth. The world hated him because he saw through its little disguises. He saw through its hypocrisy. The common people uh, loved Jesus and accepted him, but the establishment determined very early on that they had to get rid of him. And the Bible says we oughtn't be surprised one bit at that. And then it goes on further. And don't be surprised if they hate you too. Uh, the, 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 we ought, by the way, we ought to kind of worry if we're not hated by the world. Maybe we're compromising something and make, uh, that we shouldn't be compromising. <coughs> not saying that we want to be, uh, at odds, but, but we ought to be careful that we're living for the Lord. Don't be surprised when righteousness is despised. They hated our precious Savior. They will hate you too. Don't be surprised. This is what gets me. Don't be surprised at the hatred for a sinner who gets saved, cleans up his life, and starts serving God. This is an, this amazing to me. I've seen it over and over in ministry. Where somebody, and the family gets upset that he's made a decision for Christ. And it always is surprising because the world does not like uh, what, to ha what the Lord Jesus Christ promotes. The Bible tells us to expect hatred, persecution, comes for the sake of righteousness and for the sake of Christ. Why? Again, to reiterate, I'll read you what F.B. Meyer said. There is nothing the ungodly man so dislikes as to have the searchlight of unsullied purity 
flashed upon the workings of his heart and life. And when you are that searchlight through the life you live, they don't like it. They don't like it. Proverbs 29, 27, an unjust man, or an unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. They don't like it. Here's another aspect of this that has always intrigued me. If you take Christ out of the picture, then there'll be a lot less persecution. Now, there is some people that have uh, suffered persecution that aren't uh, Christian Christ followers, but very few. Let me ask you this question. Why in our nation can Islam be taught in our schools, but Christianity is prohibited? Why is that true even in our nation? Consider the story of a school in New Jersey just in 2017, a few years ago. Nancy Gayer's child uh, put together a presentation about giving uh, hats, gloves, and coats to needy children. So she put a PowerPoint presentation together. And on one of the slides was this verse, Proverbs 19:27: He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and he which hath given will he pay him again. The slide took all of 1.3 seconds, but it was enough for that teacher the teacher stopped him immediately and told this young man that this slideshow belongs in a Sunday school room, not in a school. And the teacher told the boy that it would not be allowed. And so the mom uh, also uh, went to the vice principal and, they, and, and that person agreed, no, we can't show it. And then she went all the way, uh, she went to the superintendent and said, we can't show that. It's not allowed in our school. Nancy says she was intimidated and just let it go because there didn't seem to be anything she could do about it. Fast forward one year, Nancy's son is now in seventh grade, and uh, she discovers that his class is studying the doctrines of the Muslim faith, including the five pillars of Islam. One assignment required him to complete the sentence, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. The class curriculum included a 20-slide presentation, PowerPoint presentation, and two videos along with it. The reason for this is that Christianity is about Christ. The ruler of this world hates the Lord Jesus Christ. And anything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, he will viciously attack. Anything else, religion doesn't threaten sin. Let me give you another story. When my, uh, my cousin, uh, it would be actually, uh, yeah, my cousin. My cousin, his name is Jerry, and his sister both left the Amish. They ran away from the Amish at the same time. This was about 10 years ago. And uh, both of them ran away at the same time, but they went different directions. My, uh, his sister went, uh, <coughs> had a friend in uh, one of the towns nearby and uh, started to live with her, and she just went crazy, as many young Amish people do when they get into the world. She started drinking, she started doing drugs and partying and doing what kids do. Uh, he decided that he would call my parents. Well, he called my parents and asked if he could stay with them for a while, and he did. He went and stayed with my dad and my mom. And there's something about dad and mom you have to understand, though this won't surprise you. If you live in their house, you're going to have to go to church. So he did. It wasn't long before Jerry got saved, and he started serving the Lord, and my dad helped him. He got a license, and he got, uh, he got a job, and, and he, started, he got, uh, got a vehicle, and, and now he's, he's successful working, and, and uh, he's, a, he's a great young man still serving the Lord. His sister was completely, completely in the dregs of sin. This is what point that the story I want to make is that at that time, their parents, my aunt and uncle, wrote both of them a letter, uh, and they said to Jerry's sister, 
we love you. You can come home anytime. You don't have to dress Amish. That sometimes they require that. You don't have to dress Amish. You can come as you are. We just want you to be here. We just want you to be uh, our daughter, and we just want you to visit. To the son, Jerry, you don't exist as our son anymore. You are dead to me. There's nothing, won't have anything to do with you anymore. And that amazed me. The, the girl is in sin, and, the, and my cousin Jerry got saved. Why? Because religion or uh, sin is not an offense against religion. And religion is not a threat against sin. But I'll tell you what is, the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ is an offense to sin, and it's an offense to religion. And so there will be persecution. And we see this all throughout uh, the early church. And Jesus, again, he was persecuted. He was accused of being of an illegitimate birth in John 8. He was accused, called a Samaritan in John chapter 8. <coughs> he was accused of being a uh, demon-possessed in John 10. At his fake trial, he was accused of blasphemy in Mark 26. Then on the cross, they even while he was on the cross, they that passed by reviled him. They hated him, and they hate you. He is so offensive to this world that the very mention of his name in the word Christmas, many people want to wipe that out and make it happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas because the world hates the name of Christ. The God of this world hates Jesus Christ and wants to wipe out his name. Can I tell you today, if you open your eyes, you know there is a culture war on against Christians. It's a little more subtle now than it is in many places. But even last week, we saw a snide comment made about Tuesday's primary election. Uh, Miss Joy Reed said that there are far too many Christians in Iowa. That's the problem with Iowa. And I tell you, that's their idea of the problem of us anywhere. There's too many Christians. You must understand, we will not be accepted in this world because we are a roadblock to their agendas and to their activities. The revilement of men we see next. Look at verse number 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. The word revile literally means to cast one's teeth. This is, a <coughs> this is when people attack you verbally. And maybe we have a little bit more of that today than we do uh, in American and physical, but even that is a bad persecution. They did that to Jesus. And then we look at rejoicing in the face of reproach. And verse 12, this is where, I'm sorry, but Jesus' words get a little bit bizarre. I don't know if you've ever been listening to a message and you say, wait, 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 did he just say what I think he said? Because look, let's, let's read what Jesus said. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, and you shall say all manner of evil, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So here's what he said. You will suffer. People are going to give rumors about you. They're going to attack you verbally. They will revile you. They will hate you. They will accuse you falsely. Rejoice. That's what he said. All these things and then rejoice about it. Not only that, rejoice and be exceeding glad. He'd have lost me there. I don't know if he loses you, but he loses me there. All the bad stuff that's happening and I got to rejoice. What's that all about? The prescribed response to harassment, to heckling, and to harsh treatment is happiness and joy. You say, wait a minute. Yeah, we read that right. Rejoice. He wants us to rejoice when we're persecuted. 
The word rejoice comes from the Greek word Cairo. It means to rejoice exceedingly, to thrive. He's actually commanding us here to rejoice. The word exceeding glad, the literal meaning is to skip and leap for joy with ecstatic excitement because we're persecuted. Man, that's weird, isn't it? That's unexpected. Jesus does not say when men revile you, when they persecute you, say all manner of evil things against you, pray. Of course, we ought to pray, but that's not what he says. He doesn't say, rush, put it on your TikTok account and let everybody know. He doesn't say that. He says, rejoice, rejoice. Can I tell you, that as impossible of a command that that seems like, God never gives us a command that we cannot put in practice. Uh, he's the one who gives us the ability and the power to rejoice in the face of reproach. First Peter 4.14, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. The disciples did it in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, when they departed thence from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I just picture this. They had been beaten in prison, and they come out from that, hallelujah, it's like this week, man, it was, preaching was good, it was exciting, we were able to help. We gave just, uh, collectively, we gave just under a million dollars as a conference to church planning. Man, it's exciting. I mean, that's not hard for me to be excited about that. But persecution? It's amazing to me. In the third century, not, let me tell you why, one of the reasons why he wants us to rejoice, because of the tremendous influence and testimony it is. In the third century, the bishop of Carthage, who tried to stamp out Christianity to all of his power, wrote his friend Donatus these words, and I quote, it is a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world, but I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their own souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are Christians. And I tell you now, I am one of them. And he was converted because of what he saw. You see, the world can take away a lot from you. They can take away many things, but it cannot take your joy and it cannot take your happiness because that comes from within. It does not come from without. We know nothing in the world uh, as we understand, uh, as we, we get this principle and realize there's things the world can't take away. Nothing the world can do to us is permanent. Nothing they can do lasts forever. Think about that. Uh, we know that when people attack us for Christ's sake, they're really attacking Him. And these attacks can do no more permanent damage to us than they did to Him. There's no greater heart for the harvest and for God's people to be willing to suffer persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then I want to close with this, the reward. The reward, he says, Rejoice and be... Uh, I'm sorry, verse, verse uh, 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This verse is not talking about salvation. It's not talking about the persecuted becoming a subject of the kingdom, but a possessor of the kingdom. Uh, scripture always promises, or scripture here promises royalty to God's children. 2 Timothy 2.12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. 
Those who are persecuted may be suffering now, but you will reign later. Uh, not every believer is rewarded in this life for what we do. Think about that. Now, this makes this, uh, this beatitude a little different than the others. Because many principles that God gives us, if we obey Him, we're blessed in this life for it. Uh, all the other things that we talked about here, the meek and the hunger and thirst after righteousness and the merciful and the pure in heart and the peacemakers, all this will help you live a better life on earth. But this one's a little unique and sets this beatitude apart because it's hard to rejoice in the midst of harassment. It's hard to rejoice in being persecuted. But what this does is it forces us to look beyond where we are right now. It forces us to look beyond even our time on earth. Do you really believe that one day you'll live with God forever? Then you know, friend, you know that these things cannot last that they do to us here. Now, you know, most of you who know me know that I am a very political animal. I like politics, and I love political victories. But can I tell you, friend, the kingdom of God will not arrive on Air Force One. The answer for our troubles in this world is not changing our president, not changing our our, our leaders, it's righteousness. We can look beyond our current circumstances, knowing that Jesus is coming back, knowing where our eternal home is, knowing that other great Christians have trod the path of persecution before us. And all this gives the, cur the Christian courage, and yes, it can even give you cheer, knowing that we're just a part of many other people who suffered, like Jesus did, and He did it for you. <coughs> These traits were found... In John Christosom, he was a godly leader in the 4th century church. He preached so hard against sin, he started to offend the people in high places. And he was called before Emperor Arcadius. And John was threatened with banishment, banishment if he did not cease his preaching. His response was, Sire, you cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. The emperor said, then I will slay you. Nay, he said, but you cannot, for my life is hid in Christ, in God. His next threat says, I will confiscate all your treasures. He said, no, sire, that cannot be either. My treasures are in heaven where none can break through and steal. The emperor was getting upset, and he shouted by this, then I will drive you from men, and you will have no friends left. John answered, then you, that you cannot do either, for I have a friend in heaven who has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Christosom was indeed banished, but he never made it, because before he arrived, he died on the way. But neither his banishment or his death diminished his claims, because every one of those things are true, and every one of those things are ours as well. The things that he valued most highly, the emperor could not take from him. And I'm asking you today, what do you live for? This is the problem why people in the 21st century were not willing to suffer like many people in the past did, because we value the things of this world way too much. We don't want to lose the things that we have. I mean, what if affects our Wi-Fi? Last night, for whatever reason, our Wi-Fi went down in our house. And I was thinking, that is so interesting. I'm preaching on persecution tomorrow, and here I am being persecuted <laughs> for the sake of God. Now, these little minor inconveniences, they're a big deal to us, aren't they? We put a lot of value on the things of this world. And these men and women that so faithfully followed Christ and suffered persecution, they had their value system in the right place. 
Are you living for acceptance and approval of men or of the Father? What does it take to make you quit? If you're witnessing or passing out a tract or trying to start a conversation about the Lord and uh, you want to give somebody the gospel, what does it take to make you quit? Oh, listen, friend, we ought to be willing to take a little scorn. We ought to be willing to take a little, uh, even attacks, what Jesus is talking about here. Are you willing to go through the fire of affliction and remain faithful? Charles Spurgeon said, The Lord gets His best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. Those are the best soldiers for the Lord. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Satan will try to overwhelm you with the world's contempt and its derision. It will have uh, 24-hour cable channels that talk about how Christians are Un, uh, are, are, are different and weird and they don't know uh, the truth about things and they're odd and they're not, uh, they're, they're, they try to mock uh, Christianity as a whole. Don't let them do it. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now I'll do it. I'm just saying don't let them make you quit. You keep serving God. God has the last laugh if we respond with rejoicing and joy. You can have joy. You can have happiness in spite of heckling, in spite of harassment and harsh treatment if you value the right things in your life and you realize what's really the most important, and that is our life lived for Him. It is not temporary. Uh, the, the, the life we're only going to live here temporarily. It is eternity with Him. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me ask you today, friend, are you willing... to suffer persecution. And again, I know we live in America. There's not really much persecution. I say that tongue-in-cheek. You probably won't go to prison. You probably won't be beaten. You certainly won't be killed for your faith anytime soon. But I'm asking, will you talk to your neighbor? Will you talk to your family member? Will you take a stand at work? Will you pull out your Bible at break and let people see that it means something to you? that you're a Christ follower, will you have a testimony that lifts him up no matter what others think? Will you be his, live for him, and enduring any persecution, still do right? Would you stand along with me as she begins to play, heads bowed, eyes closed, the 